I recently read a, a testimony of a young woman named Jane from the Philippines. She had a rough family life and faced hopelessness early on. She began drinking and smoking at age 12. She discovered uh, crystal meth at age 14, became addicted. She dropped out of school, stayed out late every night, had many partners. Eventually, her father had enough of her rebellious ways, so he locked her in her room every night, but she managed to sneak out through a tiny window and go from bar to bar. Her father went a step further to try and deter her behavior, and so he shaved her head. But this did not work to control her. She rebelled even more and ran away from home. Soon thereafter, Jane became pregnant at age 17. Becoming a mother started to change her, though, as a wake-up call. She wanted to be a good parent. Her and her partner committed to going out less, getting inebriated less, but life didn't change that much. She had a second child, and the pressures of life mounted. But that's when Jane found a local church on her island in the Philippines. They had a compassion ministry that reached out to her. They took care of her children. They helped her get off drugs. And that's when she also heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. She discovered that the meaning and the purpose of life in Christ, in him the source of joy and satisfaction and forgiveness. As Jane turned from her wrongdoing, her lifestyle, her sins, she placed her faith in Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she was made new. She went on to testify how God gave her a new life, new meaning, new hope, radically changed. No longer was she hopeless, but fulfilled in Christ. She started regularly attending that church and eager to grow as a Christian and now even as a mother under the Lordship of Christ. This is an encouraging testimony and it has a happy ending. But Jane's story showcases the hurt many people suffer living in a broken world. I think we all know more than a few who've turned to drugs and alcohol to escape the pressures and hardships of life. But in addition, as I read her testimony, what stood out to me, among many things, was in a way that the vain attempts of well-meaning parents to keep their children from the darkness. We can assume her father had good intentions trying to keep her from going down the dark path, but he too is helpless. It seems like the only tool he had at his disposal, the only parenting tool, was brute force. He thought he could use force to change his daughter, save her from the darkness, but it didn't work. It only made things worse. And that's because Jane did not have a behavior problem. She had a heart problem, and no amount of rules and restrictions are going to change the heart. I mean, granted, parents are right to expect good behavior from their children, but soon they're going to find out that their kids are fallen and broken sinners too, just like them. And they're rebels at heart. There's only one cure for that though. And the only hope to see any person, including a child, transformed and made new from the inside out is the gospel of Christ. There's power in the gospel to save and change. And thankfully Jane found that. It came apart from her parents, but she found that nonetheless. I mean, just think though, apart from her salvation and transformation, she would have continued in her ways. She would have remained addicted to drugs, alcohol, loose living. But what kind of life would that have created for her two boys? What kind of path would they be set on? What kind of hurt and abuse would they have experienced? How would they grow up thinking about mothers and fathers and God and life? See, that cycle of hopelessness and despair and hurt would continue. But the good news is God can break that cycle. Even if you grew up in the worst of circumstances, you didn't have good or godly parents, you, you suffered a lot of hurt yourself. God's power can completely change lives. And by changing lives, the gospel can change family trees. The cycle of hurt, abuse, and despair can be cut off and then replaced by godly parenting. Love and affection. Just think about how much Jane's salvation will affect her children and now grandchildren someday. An entirely new family tree was created on the day of her salvation. And really, isn't that how nations are changed? God changes nations one living room at a time, one family at a time. And new life in Christ should have that effect. When you come to salvation in Jesus by faith, it should completely transform and reorient your life 
you should be different. And that change should radically redefine and set in order all the relationships of your life. By changing you, God aims to change the home. And by changing the home, God aims to change nations. And along these lines, we're going to learn this morning more how, how our new life in Christ is meant to transform the family, specifically in regard to parenting. We're going to find this from Colossians chapter 3. So take your Bibles, open them to Colossians chapter 3. We've been away from Colossians for a couple of months now. Now, I was originally scheduled to preach this message on March 15th, a couple of months ago. But then COVID struck, our plans changed a bit. Like Proverbs 16.9 says, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So I decided, or I adjusted thereafter, decided to preach a series of messages just to help shepherd our church through this unprecedented time of pandemic. And some more of those messages might be coming, but I figured it's about time we resume our verse-by-verse study through Colossians. We were so close to finishing, we might as well get back to it. And this morning, we're literally just going to pick up where we left off. The very next few verses, Colossians 3, 20 through 21. As the Apostle Paul gets near the end of his letter, he includes some instructions for living out the Christian life in the household. If you remember throughout Colossians 3, we've been learning about newness, how, how we should be new in Christ, how that newness should come out in our corporate living, living in society, living even in the church. You should be different in public. But faith in Christ is meant to change how we live, not just in public, but, but also in private. In fact, it needs to start in the home. If Christianity cannot transform your most basic relationships, really, what hope is there to see the whole world transformed? But as we come to Christ, we die to the old self. We rise to the new. We no longer walk by the flesh. We walk by the spirit. You should be new. And that won't grow, but you should start to be new. And that should have an impact on the home, on on the life and the dynamics of the home. What that looks like is spelled out in brief here in Colossians chapter 3. And when I say in brief, I mean in brief. The Apostle Paul is known for very long-winded exhortations and explanations, but that is not the case here. In giving instructions to husbands and wives and parents and children, we can only assume that Paul believed his Colossian audience he was already well acquainted with these truths. They only needed the briefest of reminders because that's all they get. It just gives very brief reminders of, of household living. And, you know, that's okay. These instructions, they all still apply today. And sometimes it's good to just get the basics. Give me the very basics of marriage. We got that last time, verses 18 and 19. And now we're going to find in verses 20 and 21, this, the very basics of parenting, of new life in the home. It's the short version, but it's still good. Let's read it now. Colossians 3, verses 20 and 21. Where Paul says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And in verse 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children, so that they will not lose heart. Now, we, we do no wrong if we merely stated the facts behind these verses, apply them to today, and move on. This whole larger section we could do in one sermon. But at the same time, there's a reason what we're slowing down. We're going to spend all our time on just two short verses. Like last time with marriage, these verses, they are short. They are rather straightforward. But in our culture today, there's widespread misunderstanding and misrepresentation of biblical parenting. Most people either have no clue what the Bible actually says about parenting, or they have some false notion of what the Bible says about parenting. So I think it's very important to set the record straight when given the chance. And so we want to take our time here just to first fully explain what these verses are saying 
about biblical parenting. We'll add in a, a few other verses elsewhere to round out the picture of the home. In all, I think it's worth spending our time to uncover how new life in Christ should transform, among many things, our parenting. And that's what we're going to find, how new life in Christ transforms parenting. That's it. Simple as that. How new life in Christ transforms parenting. Just going through a couple of verses. So look at verse 20 again. We'll start from the perspective of the child. And that's what verse 20 is all about. He says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, first, you should know how different this is from most other ancient writings. Yeah, those in the ancient world, they expected obedience from their children. But children were not typically addressed as persons. They weren't really called to obey. They, they had to obey. There's no choice in the matter. In Rome, for example, children were legally regarded as the property of their fathers. And their legal status was a slightly better than slaves. But the Bible regards all human life as valuable from cradle to the grave. Every person is made in the image of God. And so all people should be treated with love, with respect. And children especially, they, they come into the world helpless. We'd say they're entitled to the love and the care and the protection of their parents. This is by God's design. Parents are the God-ordained stewards or guardians of their children. Now that said, though we should, or children should be treated with dignity and respect as persons, that doesn't mean they should be autonomous or completely independent. I mean, God made them in their very nature completely dependent. Or you think of the giraffe, which is up and galloping on day one after birth. But the human infant literally has a 0% chance of survival apart from adult intervention. That dependence is not just physical, it's also spiritual and social. I mean, children enter this world knowing nothing. They don't know anything. But that means parents must lead their children to the truth about God, the truth about this world. That also means parents must protect and guard their children because we live in a fallen world and just many dangers abound. You know, this world is filled with constant dangers to their well-being from gravity to fire to hot stoves to knives to cars to drunk drivers to people. The list goes on. And then you add the spiritual danger of sin that comes programmed in their own fallen hearts. Psalm 58.3 testifies that the wicked are estranged from the womb. Proverbs 22.15 adds, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It just comes that way, like you. So physically and spiritually, children, they're born helpless. They're born hopeless. But that's why their parents must nurture them, lead them, and protect them. That's why, you know, the primary command given to children in Scripture to obey their parents, that should sound to you reasonable, self-evident, and right. In fact, the parallel passage, Ephesians 6.1, Paul's justification for this command is simply this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's all he says. Like, it's just, it's just right. In God's eyes, it is just right for children to obey their parents. It's very helpful to think of parenting as a stewardship. Although parents, in a sense, reflect God to their children, they're not the God of their children. They're not the ultimate creator of their children. God created their souls, and one day their souls are going to return to God. And children will have to give an account for their own lives before their creator. But parents will give some account. What did you do with these precious souls entrusted to you for a short time? Did you instruct them in the true knowledge of God and the gospel? Did you lead, feed, and protect them physically and spiritually? Did you steward them for God's glory? And already these thoughts should guide and inform how parents wield their God-given authority over their children. 
Not for selfish gain or personal gain, but for God's glory and their good. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want to continue to think through this command in verse 20 from the child's perspective. And Paul addresses children and they're called to obey. The word obey, it comes from the word listen, akuo, but it's an intensified form, hupakuo. It means to listen carefully, listen intently, i.e. to obey. It's one thing for a child to hear you say, please put away your toys. It's another for them to then listen to what you say and then actually put the toys away. That's obedience. They're, they're listening, not just hearing. It's worth noting, though, in the parallel of Ephesians 6, Paul also tells children to honor their parents, to obey and honor their parents, harkening back to the fifth of the Ten Commandments. To honor means to esteem or to respect It's to treat someone as if they're highly valued, just like Jesus spoke of his heavenly father. And this honor should never be divorced from obedience. This is what pleases the Lord. This is how God expects us to relate to him. He wants us to obey, but it has to come from a willing heart that loves him. It should be the same with our children. You might tell your child, it's time to turn off the TV, get ready for bed. And let's say your daughter obeys, she turns off the TV, but then she throws the remote at the couch and storms off, mumbling under her breath. Has she obeyed you? Well, in a sense, yes, but in another sense, no. She has clearly dishonored you and disrespected you. God is not pleased by our outer conformity if it merely veils an inward heart rebellion. God expects both from us, honor and obedience, and children are called to render both to their parents as well, honor and obedience. Now, you'll see how Paul adds one qualifier to this command in verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. He says, in all things. Now, I believe it's safe to say that Paul here is assuming these are Christian parents leading their children in the will of God. And Christian parents should be trying to raise their children in the Lord. They're not going to command their children to do that which is sin or against God's will. And we know parental authority can be abused by the wicked, even by self-willed Christians. But I hope you don't think for a second you can use this verse to justify abusing your children or, or having them sin. The parent who, who abuses his or her child or leads them into sin will eventually have God's wrath to answer to. At the very least, can't use this verse to justify their actions. We're supposed to be guarding our children from sin and abuse, not leading them into it. That being said, though, within the sphere of God's will, children are still called to obey their parents in all things. As God's stewards, we're to take his word and will and and lead our children in the path of righteousness. God delegates his authority to parents, fully expecting that they're going to use that authority for the good of their child and for the glory of God. And that children would render their parents honor and obedience as they would God. This is simply right. And as Paul adds here in verse 20, it's just well-pleasing to the Lord. No other justification is really needed. All sin, in essence, is rebellion. But God hates rebellion against his order. He's programmed this order into every parent-child relationship. It's meant for the good of the child. God wants it to be honored. And this explains why, also in the parallel of Ephesians 6, Paul points out how this command to honor and obey your children It's the first command that comes with the promise. God is just one who blesses obedience and he curses rebellion. And so it's for this reason we can conclude that when children dishonor and disobey their parents, presuming their parents are not leading them into sin or abuse, they're really dishonoring and disobeying God. In other words, because God has commanded children to obey their parents in all things, When children disobey their parents, they're they're actually disobeying God. They now have a sin issue 
before God. Their problem is not just with their parents now, but with God. Hopefully you can see how this really ups the stakes of both childhood and parenting. In fact, with that in mind, I want to speak to the parents now. You know, I know this verse is directed at the children. Their part is pretty simple. Just obey your parents. That's all you got to do. Obey and honor your parents in the Lord. That's it. That's God's means of, of guiding you and protecting you and raising you up. But parents, you need to feel the weight of this delegated authority because we all know how easy it is for power to be abused. How easy it is to not have God's interests in your mind, but your own. How easy it is to not think like a steward or a shepherd. How easy it is to uh, just want to do your own thing and go your own way with parenting. But feel the, the weight and the pressure of this task. These are souls made by God, made in his image. They're just entrusted to you for a relatively short time. And so how will you give an account for them? You know, for this reason, I want to exhort you parents with verse 20 in mind to expect and require obedience from your children. This is implicit in the command. Of course, this is again, assuming you're not directing them outside of God's will, but it's only good and right for you to expect and and require their obedience and to not do so is actually doing your children a huge disservice. Now, I want to explain that a bit because I know in our culture, that's the exact opposite. Our culture thinks completely otherwise today. I mean, to expect, to actually expect your children to obey you in all things, I mean, that seems cruel and harsh and unloving. I mean, with our world's elevation of self-esteem over God-esteem, You don't want to do anything that could hurt your child's image. Yeah, I know some non-Christian parents who will never say no to their children. I believe it's too negative. So they just try and rephrase things to get compliance or they just let their children just disobey. And also, the whole notion of disobedience is softened. These parents comfort themselves by saying their children are merely expressing themselves. And yeah, that's true. But biblically speaking, the only thing they're expressing is their sin nature. That's not a good thing. That's not something we want to encourage or coddle. I mean, do you see the problem with not expecting and requiring obedience? Physically, you're setting them up for a hard life. You're teaching them that it's okay to dishonor and disrespect authority. I mean, sometimes we must disobey authority. Like when we're called to to sin against God, to disobey or go against God's word. But in general, God himself has placed us all under many authority structures. He calls calls us to obey them for the general law and order of society. But if a child does not learn to honor and obey his most basic authority, his parents, he'll be trained that it's okay to not honor and obey other authorities. He'll believe that his will is, his desires are all that matter. But I think it's likely that child will have a very hard, troubled life. How long until he reaches an employer that doesn't care about his hurt feelings or self-esteem. He's just going to fire him because he doesn't listen. In addition, not expecting and requiring obedience from your children handicaps them spiritually. And this is a spiritual issue because God says so. This is his command. We're not making this up. Like read verse 20 for yourselves. Children, obey your parents in all things. This is his command for children to obey their parents. So how can you just discard that and say, well, you don't actually have to obey me in all things. I mean, what's that communicating? That God and his authority don't matter either. You know, sin's not that big of a deal. By not treating their disobedience as sin, you're teaching them implicitly that God's word doesn't really matter. God's holiness doesn't really matter. Sin doesn't really matter. But do you see how this also sets up your children to not see their need for the gospel? I mean, we want our children to recognize 
that they're like us, sinners, you know, rebels at heart, lost. They need to understand that, that sin resides in their heart. They're born lost and astray, wayward, cut off from God, just like us, just like we were before we found Christ. But their frequent disobedience to God's law and parental law is ultimately meant to show them their hopeless condition. That we might then steward them with the gospel. And that's our, that's our biggest goal here. And this in turn, when, when they see that the weight of their sin, that they, they just can't perfectly obey. They, they always disobey. Yeah, we do too. But that's why Christ came. The Savior came. And this just magnifies the good news of the gospel of Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay the penalty for lost wayward, rebellious children like us, that we might be forgiven and made new and enabled to obey God from the heart. But if a child is trained that sin and disobedience, not that big of a deal. I mean, how likely, humanly speaking, is he to see his desperate need for a savior? Apparently he's not that bad. And God has given parents a very simple twofold job. It's not mentioned here, but in the parallel, Ephesians 6, 4, you get it. Parents are to raise up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's it. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. Positively, they must instruct teaching their children the way of the Lord, the word of the Lord, showing them what what a gospel-centered obedience looks like. And when they fall short, parents are called to use discipline to correct them, to show them their sin, point them to Christ. And these two tasks of discipline and instruction are ongoing requirements for parents. So it doesn't matter if you're tired. It doesn't matter if you think it's not working. It doesn't doesn't matter if you're not seeing the results you want to see. Just simply do what God tells you to do. Because as parents, you're under God's authority as well, right? You just focus on being found faithful as stewards. And through discipline instruction, you are to expect this obedience, verse 20, from your children. And so ultimately, it's going to be up to you parents to lead your children to know and live out Verse 20. Now, I hope all you parents are sensing the need to parent. You can't just check out. God has given you his authority for his role. It's not to be abused, but it is to be used. God wants you to actively shepherd your children because he loves your children more than you do. And they need rule and authority in their life because dangers abound. And this is not forever. We want them to mature into adults. They're not called to obey parents forever. Especially at marriage, the authority of parents is severed as a new head of household emerges. But before adulthood, children need parental guidance and authority. You know, I know I'm laboring this issue, but that's what it comes down to. Here in verse 20, it's directed at children. But again, their part... It's rather straightforward. All they got to do is just honor and obey their parents all the time. That's it. That's all they got to do. Pretty simple. But it's really up to the parents as stewards to expect, require such obedience, and even shepherd them through disobedience. Children will not naturally do this. That's why they need you. And so if I can add just one more point to this, you know, hearing this, you might respond, but you don't know my kids. They just don't respond well to authority and discipline and obedience. But I would say don't buy this excuse, which comes from the world. Because listen, there's not a child on the planet that naturally responds well to authority. They're all born sinners with hearts given over to sin and rebellion. That's why you don't have to teach them to rebel or disobey. It's just going to happen. It's going to come very naturally. This is also why God has to command them to honor and obey their parents, because that is not going to come naturally. 
But if you try and make you or your kids some exception to what God says about you and them, not only are you thwarting God's will for their lives, you're thwarting God's will for your life as well. I know the trend today is to take a very hands-off approach to parenting. And many view their kids as these kind of free spirits, the very magical existence, and they don't want to do anything that would hinder that. In a sense, that's appropriate, with childhood being a very special time, but you know, some take it to the extreme where just there's no holds bar. They just let their kids do whatever they want to do. Just express yourself. But the result is no rule, no authority, no structure whatsoever. I mean, that, all, that seems so harsh and repressive anyway. But I hope you're seeing, at least according to God's word, that that's not actually good for your children. Because they don't have nearly enough knowledge or wisdom yet to rule their lives rightly. But God has given you his authority to do this for them while they're young, entrusting them with greater and greater rule over their own lives as they get older. But if you let little ones just totally run free from your rule, it's like unleashing a brand new dog in your front yard. It's going to immediately run away and get into trouble. I think the best example of this is diet. Do you think it's a good idea to let children choose their own diet? Do they have the knowledge and the wisdom to make right choices? Of course not. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Ever since the invention of candy, like every child would choose a completely terrible, rotten diet that would do them harm. And the four food groups just be replaced by sugar. That's all you need. But they don't know better. As adults, you're free to make such choices because you do know better, which means you accept the consequences of your choices. But children don't even have that option. And that's why we must make wise choices for them while they're young. Again, entrusting them with greater freedom and rule over their lives as they get older. This is why, though, God tells them to honor and obey you. But if you're going to take a hands-off approach, what will be the result? In the end, you become the child, they become the parent. You end up obeying them, and these free-range children rule the roost. You know, mother might say, here, dear, I made you this wonderful, healthy dinner. But the child says, I don't want this. Make me something else. And a very brief but fierce struggle of wills takes place. But often the mother just gives in. It's easier and makes something else. Or maybe you've got guests coming over. So dad tells the little one, hey, time to clean up the toys. You got to clean up your mess. But the child says, no, I want to keep playing. And so the dad just ends up cleaning up because it's faster. It's easier. But in the end, you realize they've dishonored you. You have obeyed them. There's been a functional role reversal where like you're the child in the relationship. But this is not good. And this is not well-pleasing to the Lord. Paul does not say, parents, be obedient to your children in all things. But I'll tell you, if this type of functional role reversal has found its way into your family, you can put a halt to it. Just start shepherding your children. You have to lead, you have to steward, you have to parent and make some changes. And if you're still not convinced, just remember that Christ himself was perfectly obedient to both his heavenly father and his earthly parents. He modeled for us what God expects, a complete honor and obedience to parents. And at the same time, twice it's mentioned in scripture that disobedience to parents is a sign of the last days. Like 2 Timothy 3, 2. You don't want that. You don't want your parenting to be part of what's going to characterize the wickedness of the last days. Well, we need to move on now because we want to include verse 21. Paul, again, is very brief here. He doesn't mention anything about the positive roles of parenting, namely discipline and instruction. As found over in Ephesians 6, we'll leave that instruction for another time. But here, though, just dealing with the text in front of us, now Paul in verse 21, he turns his attention to parents. But here he's just going to include that the briefest warning, really the briefest admonition as a warning for them. And it's really a check and a balance against 
abusing this parental authority God has given. This is necessary. Let's see the balance in verse 21. He goes on to say, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. See, now Paul sets his sights on parents. It's, it's brief, but he focuses on parents with, with one simple instruction for them. Only here he's picking on fathers. This word for fathers sometimes can refer to both parents. And I don't think anyone would exclude mothers from this command in verse 21. But Paul has a word for both parents. He just used it in verse 20. He does not use that word again in verse 21. He uses the word for fathers. And so it's pretty clear. I think he's, he's singling out fathers. Because I think we all understand they're more prone to this issue. Mothers would not be excluded from this, but, but fathers as the head set the tone for the family. So we'll just say fathers especially must give heed to this warning. So what are fathers especially being told here? Well, it's in the negative. Do not exasperate your children. This is a very important correction. The word for exasperate means to stir, to anger, to provoke, to annoy. The idea here is not just annoying your kids. Well, you probably shouldn't do that. And it's not just provoking them to anger. This carries the idea of frustration or discouragement. You know, Paul himself modifies and explains what he means with the rest of the verse. Verse 21, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. That word lose heart is just one word in the Greek. It's the word for passion with a negative in the front. So without passion or without heart. It speaks of someone who's deflated. We would say today disheartened or dispirited, discouraged. This is the person who's so down and out, they just give up. So the picture here is pretty clear. You have a child who's disheartened or discouraged in spirit, maybe into the degree that they've just given up on even trying to please their father. It seems impossible. Nothing they do is good enough. No amount of obedience is accepted because, well, they're not perfect. And who is perfect? It's a lost cause, so the child has lost the will to even try. It's pointless, and he's exasperated. But you see, this condition has been brought on, at at least in part, by the father. The father has done something or ruled in such a way so as not to encourage and build up the child, but to discourage and tear down the child. And this, likewise, is not good. You you don't want this. This can happen to well-meaning fathers. I mean, you love your kids and you love the Lord. You want to raise them in obedience and righteousness. You're trying, but... You don't want them to rebel, but maybe just kind of in your nature, you're more a man of law than a man of grace. You know, being a strict disciplinarian comes natural to you. So you smother your children with rules. You're you're always correcting them. But on the flip side, times of affection and care are infrequent. You're more like a drill sergeant. You always find some way to correct your kids. And that never ends because, well, they're never perfect. But I realize... Although you might win their outward uh, obedience through brute force and discipline, you might end up breaking their spirit. You might find from them obedience out of fear, but you're going to lose obedience out of love. The type of of willing, happy, joy-filled obedience, because, well, they just, they love you. They believe you're right. You might even find instead a silent rebellion simmering under the surface. And many children become exasperated by the the suffocating conditions they face in the home. And so in in their hearts, they're just counting down the days until they turn 18. They can be free from this iron curtain. They can just, you know, escape. So fathers, we all need this warning. We have to check ourselves and be careful. You might be tempted to think that that law is the answer to your child's rebellious heart. They need more law, more rules. That's not the answer. If you're all law and no grace, you might gain an outward conformity, but you might end up fostering a different type of rebellion in their hearts 
through exasperation. It's up to fathers to create an atmosphere in the home. And your atmosphere should be one of, of grace, not law. Yeah, we use law, God's law, parental law, to direct our children. You want to show them the path of righteousness. And when they fall short, yeah, we're going to discipline them. We're commanded to do so. But you see, all of this has to be drenched in love and care and affection for our children. And we need to be men of grace. I think in practice, this means always bringing the gospel into your parenting. Always bringing the gospel into your parenting. We want our children to know what we know and experience what we've experienced, starting with the fact that we too were hopeless and helpless and lost sinners. And we're God's children. We're made in his image. But we, like them, were once completely lost. We're rebels at heart, just like they are. We still disobey God all the time. Every day we are disobeying our Heavenly Father. It's in our nature. And God would be only right to judge us. He'd be righteous. But our Heavenly Father chose to set his love on us. These these wayward children. And even more in his love, he sent his only son, God the Son, to die on the cross in place of these just wicked, rebellious children. And Christ died for us. He rose to justify and save lost sheep, lost children. And that was the proof of the Father's love for us. That love now is abiding, even even though we still sin. Even as Christians, we still disobey our Heavenly Father. But God is so long-suffering with us and gracious and patient with us. It's because he simply set upon us his unconditional abiding love. And yeah, at times he might discipline us. But even then, he assures us in his word that his, his smile never departs from us. We're his, we're his kids. He loves us. He, we've been adopted into his family. He loves us. And God secures us in his love. And that comes by grace. That doesn't come by law. That comes by grace. He assures us that in Christ and his gospel, he's with us forever. And that's all we need. He's with us and for us forever. And do you see the effect that assurance of love has? It it draws us to God, whereby we respond in love too. That now we love God. We want to obey God because he has loved us first. Look what he's done for us in Christ. And it should be the same with our kids. It's so important for fathers, especially to be men of grace. Men who have tasted and been transformed by the saving grace of the gospel, that they might thereafter just deal graciously with their children. We instruct, we discipline, but all by grace. At the end of the day, we need to be men and women, mothers and fathers of grace. So fathers, is perhaps this, uh, is this what has been missing from your parenting? Now Sagan, it's, it's only good and right for all of us, mothers, fathers, all of us, just frequently, humbly examine ourselves, check ourselves. Have we fallen short. God is still gracious with us. We all fall short as parents. We are far from perfect as parents. But how are we using our authority? How are we dealing with our children? Are we exasperating them? We need to to check ourselves often. We want to avoid. This is a, a needed warning. I need to check myself to not exasperate or discourage them. Now you could take this and run with it. Paul doesn't flesh out in detail exactly what this exasperation might look like. It could take many forms. Irritability, inconsistency, inflexibility, being overbearing, over-controlling, having unrealistic expectations, constantly comparing kids to their siblings. The list goes on. There, there are many ways to dishearten a child. But I think in the spirit of Paul's instructions, just to keep this simple, I would tell you to focus on love. Just focus on one thing. Focus on love. Because just think, isn't that what keeps us from being exasperated in our relationship with God? Think about you and God. You're the kid. God's the father. He's your heavenly father. But God is God. He is perfect. His holiness is extreme. You can't even stand in his presence. You and I are so unholy. 
Even after salvation, we still sin, but God demands perfection. So it's very easy to think that you are just constantly displeasing to God. He must hate you because you know better, but you still sin. But you see, the only thing that keeps us from being crushed by God's presence and God's holiness is his overwhelming love for us. We're just assured that even though that's all true, and we're not even close to his perfection, he just has assured us overwhelmingly, yeah, but he loves us. Right? We fall short, but he loves us. We're sinners, but he loves us. We need discipline, but he loves us. I mean, we know this because he sent Christ to die on the cross for us. What else could he do? Like what more could God do to show you his love for you, to prove his love for you? Does he need to do something beyond Christ on the cross to to demonstrate his love for you? But you see, it's that love that gives us the confidence to keep walking before him. Though we fall short, we can keep walking before him assured, but I'm his child now. I've been adopted. I've been justified. That can't be changed. I'm secure in my father's love. That, that, draws out our love, our obedience, and our worship. So I would say, fathers, just ask yourself again, are you assuring your kids of your love for them? Despite your shortcomings and their shortcomings, because we are just as fallen as our kids are. But at the very least, are you assuring them that you love them? And mothers too. Or have you failed to make them secure in your unconditional love? And maybe ask yourself, how do your kids see you? That might be a good exercise. Ask yourself, maybe let your spouse humbly evaluate you. But how do, they, how do your kids see you? Do they see you as some you know, distant lawgiver? You're like God up on the mountain who never really comes down. And they dare not approach the holy mountain for fear of reprisal. Do they walk on eggshells around you? When you speak from the heights, is it only to lay down law and discipline? And there's a time and place for that. Where we have to discipline. But don't be distant. Like God, be in their midst. Dwell among them. Walk with them in love. Assure them that you love them. Think about how you can better communicate love to your kids. Are you a father who has a hard time verbalizing the words? I love you. Some guys are like that. If that's you, get over it. They need to hear that from you all the time. If all they get from you is the rod of correction and never words of affection, why shouldn't they doubt your love? But don't assume they know. Just reassure them in word and in deed. And speaking of, give your kids affection, you know, physical affection. And granted, when they're, when they're 17, you might stop kissing them. It'll eventually get a little weird, but, but still... You know, show physical affection, warmth, closeness. And show deeds of love where you're just kind of laying down your life, your preferences for them. I mean, we do that all the time as parents. But think about the extent to which God went to assure us he loves us and and cares for us. We too should do the same. Just go to a great extent to just show them we love them, we care for them, we are here for them. We have their best interests in minds. And so in word, indeed, any way you can think of, just go far to demonstrate your love for them. And then just wait and see. Wait and see how that overwhelming love might impact their obedience. And maybe you'll find them just happily following your lead because they're convinced you're good and you love them. You're with them. You only want what's best for them. You're looking out for them and they love you too. And so let all of us parents, but the fathers especially, take Paul's warning to heart. Your life in the home should be different. You've been given new life in Christ. You've received the love of God, so you've been made new. And so let the grace of God reshape you. And as you're more conformed to Christ's image, let that affect your parenting. Look, none of us are perfect day one in following Christ. We still are way below the standard of Christ, but God is gracious with us to perfect us, to sanctify us. Even if you're here and you've fallen short as a parent or as a child, 
God's grace abounds for you as well. But it's never too late to, to aim to grow, to resolve to go God's way. Follow his word and will for children, for mothers, fathers, for parents. You can start even today to bring reform and hope and love into your family. And God will bless that as we are men and women of grace. Thanking God that he's gracious with us. We need it because we fall short. We just strive to show them Christ in word, in deed, and in example. And you just wait and see and watch how that will completely transform the home. I'll leave you with 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17, where, where Paul says, Now may our, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. And I'd surely include the good work of parenting. May we be comforted and encouraged by the God of grace who's with us. May we reflect him to our children as well. Let's pray. A good Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And as we sit here reflecting on your word to children and to parents, we're all struck, we're all convicted, whether we're a child or a parent, we, we don't do what we just read. We all fall short of, of the standard just proclaimed in your word. We're sinners. In fact, apart from Christ, how, how wayward we once were as well. We were lost children, rebels at heart who, who hated you and wanted nothing to do with you. You would have been just simply to judge us, Lord, but we need to first reflect on our Heavenly Father and your goodness, your love for us in sending Christ to die for and redeem these just wicked, rebellious children. But in, the, in Christ and in his gospel, you, you've sent out your power to change lives, to transform lives, to make family trees new. And we thank you for that. We thank you for grace that has come from Father through the Son, now to us, to make us adopted co-heirs with Christ. And now as we, we seek to parent uh, as new life Christians, as those born from the dead. Lord, we still fall short. Our flesh is with us. Baggage from our childhood abounds, but Lord, give us hope and give us power to change, to even reform our parenting, our, our lives in the home. May we bring our own life into conformity with Christ and his gospel and, and see that just trickle down to our children as well. We need to discipline them. We need to expect obedience. That's what you tell us to do, just like you do with us. But all of this is just drenched in grace and love. And we, we need to reflect both sides of this, Lord. We just need your help. Be with us. Be gracious with us. We know you will be. And may we leave still encouraged. Uh, we have a God of grace who's with us as we seek to follow Christ, reflect his gospel to the world while that starts in the home. So be with us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.